the Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by the Tea Clinic. Good morning, I'm Dr. Mark, this is the Tea Health Show, and today in studio I'm joined by a good friend and dermatologist, Dr. Pulele Mpofi here from Johannesburg. Pulele, good morning, it's so good to have you back. Good morning, Mark. And as always, we have our producer Simpiwe and Sister Elise is somewhere in the vicinity still mm. battling traffic. So, Polili, when you and I spoke to continue our dermatology series, um, we came up with today's show. And this is the most common allergic, atopic and inflammatory Skin conditions that patients present with. Do you want to do you want to explain to us what those might be? The most common uh, of the inflammatory skin conditions is uh, atopic eczema, which we find in about seventeen percent to thirty percent of individuals, which makes it very common. It tends to run in the family because it has been found to be uh, genetic. So it. Um, it, it 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 has other features. Um, we find that the patients will also have asthma in the family or in themselves. Then they'll also have uh, conjunctivitis or rhinitis. So it's a big um, group of people that have uh, the condition. It's very, very common. Um, most of them, um, about 50% of them will have had it by the time they're one year old. So babies tend to be more involved. But we know that uh, childhood uh, eczema can occur and only about 10% of people will present with eczema as adults. Um, it it waxes and wanes. That's what's irritating. And it really interferes with, with life seriously. Yeah, I, um, I can imagine. I think it's um, especially when the eczema is in uh, visible areas, besides the fact um, that it's uncomfortable, it has a negative mm-hmm. effect on mm-hmm. our self-esteem and confidence. Yes. If, besides that, the patient can't sleep well, the school suffer, work suffers, the family suffers because the main, um, the, 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 the stigma of the, the or rather the, 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 the feature of the, the disease is itch. So the, 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 the dryness, the condition of the skin makes the skin to itch. Then the patient scratches where they can reach. That's why the, the, the lesions are all usually on the limbs and on the face and the neck. It's called the itch that rashes. It's not the, a rash, it's not the rash that itches. It's the itch that rashes. So it means us clinicians should be, should be aware of this and target the itch, not treat the itch on demand, but treat the itch until we control it because it's the itch that creates all the drama that we later see where we get the, the inflammation, where we get the lesions, where we get the, scr- the scratching, the thickness of the skin, the discolorations of the skin. So if we if we uh, um, approach it early on and control the itch that it causes and make sure that the skin is well moisturized and we don't get transepidermal water loss and the integrity of the skin is intact, that controls the itch, which is the initial part of the disease. So that's important. Okay, so... I'm going to try and recap what you just said. Mm. So eczema is part of the atopic conditions, yes. which includes asthma, allergic rhinitis, yes. those kind of things. Yes. Um, it's genetic, so yes. it's passed down. So if one of your family has it, 
Whereas, like you know what, you're likely to get it. Mm-hmm. What I forgot um, are over 24 years of not being um, in academics anymore, and I'm going back to when I was studying dermatology at Varsity, I forgot about that, that distinction. This is the itch that causes a rash, not a rash that develops that then itches. And I love that. So presenting symptoms. Would the patient start feeling itchy first and yes. then only do they start developing lesions? The, 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 the disease itself causes dryness, yet it is also triggered by dryness. So dryness is a big feature in the disease. So the patients are dry, then they itch. Where they scratch, they get these papules, they get vesicles, they get excoriations. Obviously, with excoriations, you're going to get um, secondary infection. Yes. I, I, I um, learned long ago from mm. one of your dear colleagues, Dr. Mm. Julie Budavari, when we mm. worked together in the mm. early 2000s, mm. um, where there was a pediatric dermatologist that treated these scalded babies, these mm. these babies that literally look as if they've been put into mm. boiling oil. They come mm. out red and they have severe eczema. Um, that they treat them with a mm. combination of a cortisone in an emollient, but they always add an antibacterial agent mm. in the topical treatment as well. Yes. And I've been doing that ever since, um, with great effect for the specific reason, um, patients scratch themselves with dirty nails and it creates that mm. secondary bacterial infection, mm. which is very difficult to get rid of. That's why it's important to teach our patients to, when they have lesions like that, to do the bleach, bleach baths. Explain what a bleach bath is, please. A bleach bath is um, the addition of ordinary, um, ordinary bleach, maybe a capful into the into the bath water. So this is chick. Yes, chick. Okay. And then you, you, the patient soaks in it for about twenty minutes. It can irritate the skin, but it it kills the bacteria. We use it for most of the oozing dermatological conditions. We use it for pemphigus. We use it for TN. We use bleach baths when we when we suspect bacterial colonization. A bleach bath. Well, you know what? Ordinary I've, I've bleach. always chick javel or whatever. I've always known that I need to soak my dishcloths in jick, mm. but I never knew that I can soak myself in jick yes. if I. If it's I have a pro-irritant, if it's too strong, it will it will sting. So the, the, it has to be very very mild. So literally a a, a normal bath with with a capful of chick, one capful of chick, and then wow, you, you okay. soak soak your body for at least twenty minutes, okay. and then rinse off. It really works. Okay, so let's go back to the presenting symptom. Yes, itching. Mm. Before, actually, I want to circle back. Before the, we go to, to treatment, is there a differentiation in ethnic groups? Do white people get eczema more than brown people or black people, or is there no difference? 
We seem to believe that it's more severe in, in, in pigmented people. And the severity might be because the skin doesn't show redness that easily, or maybe it's access of, of, of med- we tend to see the most severe in, 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 in African people in our country. I, I would have thought it exactly the opposite. Simpiwe, as um, a young black woman, is it something that you know your friends or family uh, mild ex- with? Mild eczema might be, but once you say battle, the severe ones, the yeah. ones we have to admit, the ones we have to wrap in wet wrappings and all that, are seldom, are seldom Europeans. Wow. Okay. There's a reason for that. They suspect that it's because of the late presentation and many habits of um, of Africans. Like I know my mother will always want us to wash with sunlight uh, laundry soap. The, the green one. Yes, that has a there's a it has a pH of eleven, so it's a pro irritant. Yeah. You, well, the skin is five point five, so you need something in that is neutral. Yes, balance. Not eleven. So. Our parents have this tendency to believe in, um, in, 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 in washing with that and scrubbing with uh, that orange cloth. Yeah. Because some, sometimes you are scaly. And you remember there's a, there's a phenomenon called the Kubna phenomenon. No, you'll have to explain. Yes, which means there are some conditions of skin that are worsened by minor trauma. Things like eczema, psoriasis, lichen so planus. So Even if you scrub yourself, even if you, that's why they tend to be more on areas of trauma. Ah. Yes, there are some conditions. Vitiligo is one of them. That's why they are in areas of trauma. So, so scratching yourself or rubbing yourself harsh, harshly with a scrub or whatever can aggravate. And some people have that habit of thinking they need to do that. To exfoliate. So the best mm-hmm. way, if you're prone to eczema or if you have an eczema flare-up, mm-hmm. is actually just to use a pH neutral soap with your hands instead of any kind yes. of soap. And not to wash too often. And the water should not be too hot because all those are pro-drying. If the water is too hot, if you wash too frequently, if you're using an alkaline cleanser, and so we use non-soap cleansers. It's important the first stage can be aborted if we prevent that transepidermal water loss because that transepidermal water loss that happens in the beginning also encourages the adhesion of bacteria. It it's also uh, encourages infection. So I want to ask you a question. Mm. These antibacterial soaps, like Protex or Dettol or mm. something like that, don't they change the microbiome of the skin, which can aggravate what you've just said, yes, creates bacterial overgrowth? That's why we don't we don't use the antibacterial. I think bleach is an antiseptic more than an antibacterial. So. We, we do not, we don't, would not advocate continuous use of antiseptics. Um, it tends to create, it changes the microbiome. That's true. So I'm going to ask you a question and we're going to put our necks on the line, mm. but I think it's in public interest. Mm. What is the best soap that we can use? There are many, many companies have come up with, um, with very with moisturizing and moisture retaining 
cleanses. So these are things like Dove and Lux and Dove, yes, um, uh, washing with with the creams. But what people should remember is that aqueous cream is not as friendly as people think. No, I actually, in my personal opinion, I don't like aqueous. Aqueous cream is a pro. It's a pro. It, it creates inflammation. It has sodium lauryl sulfate, which is a pro irritant. If you are going to use it and rinse it off completely, that's okay. But I mean, you don't want to wash with something where you, you are worried about. I hope I haven't left any trace. Yeah, if you apply it afterwards, it, it, it really aggravates the, the, the eczema. So we need to, we need to talk about emollients mm. or, or mm. creams. Massifying ointment. Now, I don't know, Elise. Um, Good morning, I've everybody. Se- <laughs> morning. I, I've seen so many um, black men in the gym use... Vaseline petroleum jelly as the moisturizer. Is this a good or a bad thing? It's fine. It's, an, it's occlusive. So unless you are overdoing it, because then it can overdo what it's doing. You know, we get Vaseline dermatitis, folliculitis on the legs in people who use too much Vaseline. You can get folliculitis from clogging the pores. Like on the scalp as well, we do get folliculitis from heavy Vaseline applications. But if uh, Vaseline on its own, if it's added to, if it's used sparingly, it's a very good occlusant. Okay. So for the run of the mill guy in the street, we have such a big range of different creams from Mm. The ones that has coconut in to the ones that have some kind of menthol in mm. to make you feel tingly. And then you have um, your more expensive ones. And then you have the cheap ones. Mm. How do we pick one for mm. the guy with normal skin? Mm. I find it very frustrating um, because now we had lots of products in the market that um, – that state that they have this and that, they have niacinamide, they have, they have coconut, they have this and this, when we can't prove that they actually have those. So some companies have just gone through the list of must-haves and they claim they have. So people should be careful and not just buy anything that says it has something. So I think there's guidance that's needed here. Your, your body lotions with Shimmer, shine, and um, stuff like fragrances. Mm. These are absolute no-nos for patients with atopic and absolute no-nos because they can irritate the skin. So this is where you go for a really bland, bland Epimax emulsifying ointment. In fact, emulsifying ointment is it doesn't look attractive, but if it's used immediately after a bath, remember that with babies you wash them with that. But when you grow older. You don't feel clean if you just apply that ointment and rinse. So we say, okay, use Dove to wash. I'm just saying Dove. Any other, there are many other mild soaps. You can use uh, pure soap as well. You can use any pure soap. But when you get out of the water, when you are still damp, then apply the emulsifying ointment just to trap the moisture before you apply your other moisturizer. So I I have been... Um, 
using eucerin. It's, it's a good product, yes. Um, and they have the different, yes. the different ones. You have a regular one. I think that's the one with a blue lid. And then you have a very thick one for mm. extremely dry skin, mm. which is the one with a white lid. I, I can't remember what they are. Mm. But um, if I'm not mistaken, Eucerin come from Beersdorf, yes. the, the company. And Beersdorf is a pharmaceutical company Yes, um, that puts a lot of research into products. They, they are do. on the pricey side. Uh, they do. They do. They, res- they research their products. So once a product comes out, you, you know that it has been properly researched. There are other companies as well. We have lots of good, good, good products. We have Avin. We have um, La Roche Posay. We have Epimax. We have um, Zerodem. We have good products. Um, I might have forgotten a few of the ones we use. We have. Uh, which one do we have? Can I ask a question? Um, Glycerine-based soaps. Mm. If it's pure, it's fine. It's pure, it's fine. Mm. Okay. The problem is the addition. Anything that's added so, is yeah. introducing a new pro-irritant. So we avoid things that are added. People will look for added this, added this, added. Whatever is added on a product exposes you to another thing that you could react to. Okay. And another question I have. I like to see the bubbles when I bath or shower. And you don't get that from your pure soaps, actually. So that's a no-no. Because they use emulsifiers to, to, to create the, bu- the, the, the bubbles. Mm. So sometimes it can be irritating. Okay. Mm. Then I've got another question, if I may. Mm. Body scrubs. Mm. Remember I talked about the Kubna phenomenon. That's a very, very important concept to understand. Okay. There are conditions that are worsened by trauma. Okay. They are worsened by rubbing. They are worsened by scrubbing. Lots of conditions. Lichen planus, warts, eczema, psoriasis, uh, lichen sclerosis, vitiligo. If you scrub yourself, you are extending the, the borders of the disease. Is it because okay. you're creating inflammation in that area? The, it's, it's a, it's, that's called, um, it's a um, isomorphic response. Okay. It, the, those particular conditions will f- have the same inflammation in an area that was not affected before in a person that has the condition. Let's say I have vitiligo on my mouth. Yeah. Then I go and get a scrub on my body. I can develop vitiligo there. Oh, wow. So we, we, we are very careful about such things. So um, I, I just want Dr. Pulile to quickly explain what vitiligo is. Um, I think mm. a lot of people have seen the condition, but mm. they don't know exactly mm. what it is. This is a deep pigmented yes, condition, it's, it's, an autoimmune reaction. Yes, it's an autoimmune condition where you get antibodies against your, melan- your, melan- your melanocytes. Okay. So your, he- your skin is healthy, but it doesn't have pigment. Mm. And it's usually patchy. It can be total. It's usually patchy, so treatment depends on the surface area involved. It can be small. It can be in areas of trauma only, like people with sinus who are rubbing their eyes with colon conjunctivitis. They can have vitiligo to emphasize... That raccoon thing, yeah. Yes, to emphasize the Kubna phenomenon. But if you just treat the sinus, stop the person from rubbing... It clears the vitiligo because it's caused by the trauma to the skin. We saw a patient yesterday with Addison's disease, mm-hmm. and she has vitiligo on her face, 
around her mouth. Mm-hmm. So I'm just interested, is that one of the symptoms of, of Addison's or is that? Autoimmune conditions tend to clap together. Okay. Yeah, it's it not unusual that we find one with four. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting that you say that because this patient had Hashimoto's, which is your autoimmune thyroiditis. It's common in vitiligo. um, And she had vitiligo and she had um, complete shutdown of of the adrenal glands uh, glands because of Addison's disease. Okay. The Hashimoto caused the vitiligo. Because when when we investigate a patient with vitiligo, we test them for Hashimoto. I've got okay. one more question. You spoke about Vaseline. If you put it on sparingly and it, it's occlusive, is that good? It's, if it's not a lot, because too much occlusion produces folliculitis. Yeah. That's why it's better to buy products that are already from good companies. We mentioned a few companies. Because they've gone through the recipe. They've found the percentage of occlusiveness that you should have, the, percent, the percentage of this, the percentage of that, and they've made a cream out of it. I find that these home done mixtures are not properly regulated. Yes. I know that the other creams are expensive. So if you are doing it yourself, I usually say wash with um, 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 something like Epimex, then apply Epizone E when you are still wet. Mm-hmm. Which one? The Epizone E cream or the Epizone E ointment? Ointment. Okay. Because you you apply it on wet skin. But the Episone E contains urea, doesn't it? No, it, there is one that has urea. Oh, that's one with but a black not, lid. But not all of them have urea. Okay, and that you would use the urea more for a scaly condition. Or very dry skin, yeah. yes. Or keratosis pilaris, you know, this okay. chicken yeah. skin on the arms, where you need disluffing of the skin. Okay. Mm. Um, Polili, I want to ask, mm. eczema is the itch that rashes. Yes. How do we control the itch? Can we, can, uh, is normal antihistamines, et cetera, et cetera, an acceptable mm. way of preventing the rash mm. from forming? It's a combination of things. We know that the dryness is pro-itch as well. So we have to manage the dryness. We have to use products um, that have anti-itch qualities in them. Some have niacinamide, some have other, other ingredients. Niacinamide being B3, am I correct? Yes. Yeah. There are lots of other ingredients that companies use to, to, to make the, 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 their creams, uh, less in, inflammation. My English is bad. To reduce the inflammation. So, but what is a combination of things to, to get back to your, to your question? We have to make sure that the skin is not dry. We have to make sure that we, we moisturize thoroughly with the right things. And we have to use antihistamines not on demand. Constantly. Until we get over the, the phase. Okay. Until the flare is over. Because the actual, the itch is going to activate the whole process. So we don't want them to itch. So for that, for, for, for as long as they have a flare, we suppress the histamine. Okay. But with non-sedating, please let's not give them sedating antihistamines. It's not right. We should give them the, the second generation and the, 
that generation in antihistamines. But not most not of the these, ones that make them sleepy during most the day. Of these antihistamines are now freely available over the counter. Yes. The ones that you are referring to, in my mind, would be the Desilexes, Rupanes, Rupanes, those. Yes. Um, if a patient is those are good because they can work. They can. If mm-hmm. a patient is battling with eczema and that they have that mm-hmm. itch and they want to go and get themselves something, they can get. Um, how long would you say that they take it? A month at least? It depends. The thing is, if you are being managed properly, if the skin is being managed properly, that's not going to last for long. Because the, the, the antihistamine alone is not the treatment of eczema. No, not at all. So there has to be other things that are done, we have to apply the right stuff, we have to make sure that there's no infection, we have to make sure that there's no dryness. It's a combination of factors. Okay. Now, um, traditionally, and again, I'm going back to when I was studying and we did dermatology, um, it was cortisone is the dermatologist's best friend. Now, in this, in this instance, mm. is it something that we use routinely or mm-hmm. only in patients with severe flare-ups and severe eczema? Cortisone is very <coughs> cortisone is very reliable and very quick in its action, but it needs to be used with caution because of the, of the side effects, the consequences that we usually see. But we can't deny the fact that it's very reliable and very effective. So what's important is that one should know how to use it. So uh, we are very cautious of the strength we use, making sure that we reduce the strength. In my practice, we don't get repeat scripts of steroids because I need to see and adjust the dosage so to avoid uh, complications. We need to remember that the face is very sensitive to steroids. Therefore, we should use calcineurin inhibitors on the face. I see that many people make that mistake of using the same steroid on the face, and we get lots of steroid damage on people with eczema. Um, what does that look like, if I may ask? Initially, there's the bleaching, which they enjoy, they like. They say they are popping and all that, but there's a beginning of bad things, because it starts by, by it's not ordinary bleaching. It's bleaching as a side effect of the steroid, but the patient is happy at that stage. Then the skin gets red, they get rosacea, then the 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 skin is immunosuppressed. They get infections. They get tinea incognito. They get the worst infections you can think of, and they are altered by the steroid, so they don't look typical. So they are missed. We get stretch marks, the worst stretch marks you can imagine. We get acne. We get early wrinkling. That one people are not aware of. They wrinkle. The skin is thin, so it wrinkles quickly. Because the epidermis gets thin, the vessels are visible. You get what we, what we call telangiectasia, where you see the vessels even on the eyebrows. Spider webs, red yes. spider webs on the face. So you can imagine if you bump on a wall, you'll just bleed, just have ecchymosis from slight trauma. Sure. It's um, very interesting that um, a lot of African people and even Indian people, and I actually think there's a higher tendency under Indian patients to use bleaching agents Mm. in the form of hydroquinone mixed with cortisone Mm. 
to achieve skin lightening. And the mm. problem is that when it goes wrong, it, it goes completely goes wrong. into the opposite direction. It always goes you wrong. turn black. It always goes wrong because it, it becomes so thin. The skin becomes so thin and then it's not protected from the sun. They get one exposure, then they get pitch black. And it's not an even tone. It mm. literally looks like you fell into ground coffee. Mm. So, um, okay. So we touched on eczema. Mm. Which would you say is the second most atopic or allergic or inflammatory condition of the skin? In my mind, I would love us to, to focus a little bit on psoriasis, mm. but, um, isn't dermatitis more common? It's just more important because it's always ex uh, um, confused with atopic eczema, okay. seborrheic dermatitis. Okay. I think it's important for us to be aware of the entity that seborrheic uh, dermatitis exists, and it's, it's usually um, confused with eczema. But what's important is that seborrheic dermatitis is, is an overproduction of the yeast that is a normal commensal. We all have the yeast on our bodies, so you don't get infected with yeast. We all have the yeast on our skins. But for some reason, it overgrows, especially in areas that are greasy, like the scalp, the armpits, under the breasts, in areas that are inflexions, okay, in folds. So yes. between the legs. Those are the areas where it overgrows. And then the overgrown yeast activates an eczematous response. So we see an eczema, but which is caused by yeast. So this is what makes the diagnosis of this condition so incredibly important because mm. I know using a cortisone in mm. a fungal infection actually mm. makes it worse. Yes. On, but in, in, in seborrheic dermatitis, you can give an antifungal initially, but it's not... It doesn't feed because the fungals, the, the, the yeast activates the problem. But you can, you, sometimes you don't even get the yeast later on. It's already an eczema, but it was caused by the yeast. So is this when you go for a combination treatment with your antifungal cortisone, antibacterial you, in one, in one mixture? We don't. If you diagnose it early. Yes. Early. When you treat early, you can give an antifungal for a short period. Okay. This is your normal lamisols? Yes, but for a short period. Five days. Six yes. Days. Then later on, you treat it as an eczema. Okay. Where you would treat with, with your normal emollients. Calcineurin inhibitor like Elidel and Protopic on the face. I stress that because people use topical steroids on the face and they harm themselves. So we need to use... We, should, we need to avoid steroids on the face. Even for seborrheic dermatitis, we need to use um, the Elidel and Protopic um, versions. You can use a steroid for if, just a few days, maybe not more than five days, just to quickly uh, improve the patient. But we is should. It, is it, sorry, but I interrupt. Is it then not better to use a oral steroid, a systemic steroid, rather than a topical? Sometimes you don't want to. Interfere with other, yes. Sometimes you're not even sure about the immunity of the patient. Sometimes you worry about activating a latent TB. So sometimes you'd think, is it really necessary to give a systemic one? 
because you can you can you can wake up you can activate the dormant TB. Okay. So you have to be careful. But we 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 get we, we get we get by. You can treat with with a steroid if you think it's very bad. You can give just a few days. Okay. Then later on, the patients should be educated on changing to the other one. But because the, the the steroid would have helped them so much, they have an emotional attachment to it. Yeah, absolutely. So the doctor should be careful that you don't get um, manipulated by the patients to keep on giving the steroid. Okay, so seborrheic dermatitis. dermatitis presents typically how? It, it's, it's, a, it's a greasy, like eczematous rash. Yeah. It's very greasy on the scalp, on the nasolabial folds, eyebrows, behind the neck, chest, back, of the folds. In babies, it can, presents a, a, it can present as a generalized rash, but they always have cradle cap first. That's a good giveaway. I wanted to ask that. Yes. They have cradle cap and then later on they get the rash. But what worries the patients or the parents is that the skin has white patches. And even in the folds, you find that it's white. But it changes. The depigmentation changes as you treat. So they shouldn't worry. We treat just like eczema, but we, are, we, we, we assure the parents that the, 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 the pigmentary uh, problem is, is temporary. This is... I, I think, uh, now that you touched on that, I think this is one of the most important things that people need to understand is the concept of post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation in any skin condition, whether it's acne, eczema, mm-hmm. psoriasis, trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, do you quickly just want to explain to us what that is? I, you know, what, when, I, when I do it with my patients, I literally break the word down mm-hmm. um, and explain to them, what it means post post inflammatory we'll call it dispigmentation because it can be white and it can be it can be dark um the one in seborrheic dermatitis is white it's, it's that's why they worry and they think it's vitiligo so post means after an inflammatory condition after scratching after a rash after an injury that when there's inflammation then you get a melanin abnormality so it's something that happens after you have had a problem. So that can clear on its own, but within a year or two, most of them are gone. But you can, you can, you can treat them with ordinary pigmentation treatment. Okay. There's, there's one other condition before we go over to psoriasis, mm. and this is fungal infections, mm. which I think is incredibly common. Very. Um, I'm, and I'm thinking of pityriasis vesicula and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, can, we, can we just touch on those? Yes. Pityriasis vesicula is very interesting because it's caused by the same yeast that causes seborrheic dermatitis. It's, um, it's the, the malassezia fefa, that's what it's called. It's, it's the same rash that also causes pityrosporum folliculitis. It's the same yeast that causes that. So it causes many things, including um, pityriasis vesicola. We used to think in the olden days that you were infected by other people. But now we know that it's a normal commensal. It's something you have that just overgrows. So we think some people have genetic ability to overgrow it. Especially if you sweat a lot, if you exercise and you sweat and you feel hot and you're, oh, yeah, you're in a humid place or you dress very warmly, then it overgrows. 
and then it causes that um, unsightly spots. It's called vesicola because it can be different colors. The usual is white, but it can be red or it can be black. It's like the, the patches on the chest and abdomen, the back and the arms. It's common in summer. And the yes, recurrences are very common, up to 40 to 60%, because it's the person's ability to overgrow. Okay. It's not so, that they are infected by somebody. So I see this in a lot of young men in the gym. Yes, because that's um, right. And you know what? what we use in our practice Mm. is a combination of a topical antifungal, which yes. is very easy. You can buy yes. that over the counter. Yes. And um, what we use, and I think you know this product well, mm. is hydrochlorous acid in mm. the form of microdicin or something, which is not freely available to the public, but to us it is. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's a brilliant – how would I call this? Um, it's not an antibacterial. It's an anti-inflammatory – um, antiseptic wound healing uh, product. Is it something that you use? I, because it's not available easily. I, I just use ordinary fungal, uh, antifungal. And these are your, again, the stuff that you can literally buy over the counter. This is the Lamisil spray or do yes. you go a little bit stronger than I that? I can if it's very extensive and annoying and the person is not compliant doesn't think they'll comply on applying creams, I then prescribe an, an oral antifungal. What's important is that those that know that they keep on recurring can just predict uh, when it's spring, almost going into summer, they know they'll get it. Yeah. They can then use antifungal shampoos maybe once a week. We tell them, just use, just use a shampoo on your whole body, leave it on overnight, once a week. So that the overgrow, the overgrowing of the yeast is, 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 is interfered with. Diet. Does it play a role? Nothing has been confirmed. There are many things that patients believe. But in our own um, communication, we don't think diet plays a big role. Okay. So the stay away from gluten, stay away from maize, stay away from Most sugar. of our patients have already done all that. So that's why for us, it's very easy to not believe in all, like in acne and all that. Because most of our patients, by the time they come to a dermatologist, it's because all the things haven't worked. So by the time they come to us, we have very little to do. We have very little home things to do. Because the home things have been exhausted. Okay. I, I, you know what, I think it's a common misconception that diet Creates skin conditions. I know that it can create a flare-up if you have a gluten intolerance. Yes, if you have. Or if you have a, um, a, a lactose or fructose mm. intolerance. But you know what? Um, a normal elimination diet would would be able to show you if that's happening, shouldn't it? Yeah, but um, it puts it. What my concern is that stress is a, is a trigger of this condition. And all this advice that we give to patients, don't eat this, don't eat that. We don't realize how we're adding to the stress. We should be sure when we're telling them to do something. 
Because it stresses them. Now they have to do this. Now they have to not eat this. Now they have to. And it's not working. We don't realize that you are adding to the stress which is triggering the, the problem. We should be sure when we give them um, advices. Is it really, 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 really proven to work? Not just I'm suspecting this, therefore I'm loading the patient with a list of things they mustn't do. People don't realize the stress it gives to a person when they do that. We have to be sure when we're telling them something, not just something we are thinking of. Because then now they are eating guiltily. They are stressed because they are thinking they are causing the disease and the stress is causing the disease. Unless we're sure, I mean, like gluten, there is a condition that is definitely associated with gluten, the dermatitis epitiformis. So when you have that, you have to stop. But most patients are just told to stop gluten when they have eczema. When we all told to stop gluten whenever you walk into a dietitian with yeah. any bowel condition. Yeah. It's, gluten is always... A we should be careful what we tell patients because it's not just uh, lubricating the conversation between... Sometimes you are, if there's nothing to say, you feel compelled to say stuff. But you're loading the patient with the burden of having to comply now. Yeah. On something that has not been proven. I like what you're saying. Yeah. And so, okay. One of the most harrowing conditions, I think, for patients mm. is psoriasis. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit more what it is, how does it present... Because it's a difficult condition to manage. It's a very difficult condition. Easy to diagnose, but um, yeah, treatment is a bit of a challenge because of the way it interferes with one's life. Psoriasis, unlike eczema and seborrheic dermatitis, the lesions are thicker and more scaly because the skin is turning over too quickly. And very itchy, but it has lots of associations. We now know that psoriasis can be part of the metabolic syndrome. So we don't just look at a person with psoriasis and leave them. Polili, sorry. I, I just want to interject. Um, because in this, in this series and in my practice, metabolic disease is something that I deal with on a daily basis. So let's just run through metabolic disease. It's, it's where there's a change in cholesterol levels, a change in insulin and glucose metabolism, thyroid metabolism that goes down, weight gain, and hypogonadism, and we can add hypertension to that. That's, that's the six big um, diseases that mm. make up metabolic mm. syndrome. So we should be alert and check our patient's was psoriasis, we need to Psoriasis needs to be, yes. Psoriasis, um, the patients most of the time are not checked for the other things. And it can be part of um, that syndrome. But for, 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 psoriasis is, has, has a very broad um, way of presenting. It can be black psoriasis, which is spots. It can be scalp psoriasis. It can be generalized, which is called erythrodermic psoriasis. It can be guttate psoriasis, which is important to note because guttate is those small raindrop-like lesions. It's important to know that those are associated with streptococcal infection. And when we don't know that association, we don't treat the patients for the strept infection. It's important. Sometimes it's tonsils that are recurrent. I remember when I was in the hospital, we used to fight with the ENTs 
because we would ask them to remove tonsils from a patient and they wouldn't think they have to, would be worried about the strips that keeps on uh, causing that. But it's important to note that type, there's, um, the, it, it can spread to the, to the, to the joints. We have to be careful. This is, this is the rheumatic psoriasis. So, yes, so the many presentations of psoriasis. Yeah. There is joint psoriasis, which we should look out for also because treatment is essential to, to prevent uh, damage of the joints. There's nail. I want to ask the nail psoriasis. Yes. How does that look? It's just crumbled up nails. Okay. It looks like a fungal infection. So most it patients looks like this. The nail is lifting off the bed as well. There are many. There are many ways. It can be pizza. It can be pits. It can be heaped up. It can have what we call onycholysis, where it, where it's lifting up and there's debris underneath. Okay. There are different ways. We should always be on the lookout for that. It's I, difficult I, to treat. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that. In one of our programs, I would like to talk about mm. is what conditions can present actually just looking at thinning nails. Because we know there's the TBs, mm. there's skin conditions, etc. There's lichen planus, vitiligo. Um, yeah, that, that first present by just looking at your nails. It's mm. actually mm. a very interesting topic. It's like the mouth. The mouth is very, there are lots of diagnoses you can make in the mouth. So if 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 we don't op- open the mouths of patients, we miss out lots of diagnosis. Okay, um, psoriasis mm. difficult to treat for difficult. our patients sitting far from dermatologists mm. and GPs. Mm. We know how it presents. It mm. presents with that plaque-like or mm. scaly mm. itchiness. Mm. How associated with stress and infection? How do we? How do we manage? Or mm. Shall we start with how can I prevent mm. this? Manage stress. Mm. Manage stress, yes, and manage the the other conditions that are associated with it. It's uh, found like metabolic syndrome. Meta- okay. Mm. So manage Infections. your cholesterol, your thyroid, your glucose and insulin, insulin. your hypertension. Yes, diabetes. Diabetes. Stop smoking. Okay. Things like that. Can you cure psoriasis? It's a chronic condition. You can treat it. But the new biologics now are very good. Mm-hmm. Because when, when they are used, patients are diseased, they don't have symptoms. Okay. The, um, the new biologics. Let's go over the treatment. We can use topicals, which is... Topi- your Clobex, am I correct? Topical steroids, um, Clobex, different types. Okay. Topical steroids, we can use calcineurin inhibitors. Yeah. We can use vitamin D analogs, Dovo, Dovonex. Okay. Yes, we can use dev- vitamin A. Your creatinones. Um, yes, you can use um, tar. I can, remember the old cold. One tar to five percent. The smell is a put off, but it can work. Yeah. It can help the inflammation. You can phototherapy is a very good um, adjunct to treatment. It helps a lot. Okay. Can we can we just stop phototherapy? Phototherapy yes. is UV light. UV. Yes. You, so. You is realize. sun exposure to psoriasis, can it aggravate the condition or is it good to be in the sun for controlled periods of time we, if you don't have access we to dis- We discourage that because what is controlled time? You'll get other problems of the sun. So we're scared of that. We prefer a proper machine that is calibrated. Okay. Because if you're doing it yourself, how will you know when you're now activating cancer? 
Okay. When your adults overdoing the thing, it's really difficult to know the dosing. The dosing. It's better if you go to um, a, a center where phototherapy is given and a fixed dose. Okay. It's safe. So, phototherapy. Um, supplementation. You mentioned vitamin D, vitamin A. Mm. Um, mm. Is this something that we can think of as a good? <clears throat> I beg your pardon. A good multivitamin or vitamin D supplementation, zinc, blah blah blah. We know. Would, would, would it contribute, or again, not proven? Not proven, but most of our patients start there. Maybe most are treated <coughs> doing that, but most of our patients start there. We see the worst cases that have not many that have not been managed with ordinary things. But then, when the topicals don't don't work, we go to systemics with methotrexate, cyclosporin. We can use um, vitamin A derivatives, uh, acetretin. We can use um, the, the new biologics. Those are, the, those are a game changer. They're just expensive. I'm depressed because my patient was rejected yesterday. I applied for, for biologics and they said no. And I already told him that there's this new treatment. It works. So it's a problem. The cost is a problem with biologics. But it, they have they, 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 they breakthrough in the treatment of psoriasis. Okay. Um, Dr. Pulili Mpofu, dermatologist here from Johannesburg. Pulili, if um, patients want to get hold of you, well, do you have a website? Is there a contact number that we can follow? No. I have a contact number. <laughs> okay. So we will provide Dr. Pulili's contact number. If you want to know more, contact us at the T-Clinic and we can forward it on. The problem I think that we are sitting with is that our dermatologists are concentrated in big urban centers. So for the people out there, mm. um, you know what, in, in rural areas, mm. this can really be a problem. It's and um, dermatology is actually far more difficult. Then it looks. You can't treat everything with a steroid. No, you ought, you ought not. So mm. if you are uncertain and if your GP is mm. uncertain, please, you know what, make the effort to get to mm. a, a dermatologist. Unfortunately, they are few and far between. There's not a lot mm. of you in the country. Um, Polili, as always, talking with you, is a wonderful, wonderful learning opportunity. I've learned a lot today, mm. things that I should have known that I have forgotten, but mm. also new things. We will be continuing a series on dermatology on a regular basis. Mm. So thank you very much for taking time out of your very busy schedule, and especially today when you're not feeling 100%. I really appreciate that. Next week, we will be back. Um, and as always, I don't know with what. So I did know, but it changed. Can you remember, Cecilies? We were going to do skincare. Isn't it just you and me? Ah, we're going to talk about, yes, we're going to talk about necessary screening tests for optimal health. Mm, that's important. So um, we will be back next week. And again, thank you for your time. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. 
Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.